Welcome to Tanversations. I'm Tanya, a 20-something working in venture capital and excited about the Web3 space. In this podcast, I'm going to be diving into the biggest questions that I have, mostly about work, but also about life and everything in between by turning to my elders that include venture capitalists, experts, entrepreneurs, writers, philosophers, activists, and even 26-year-olds. So grab your pumpkin spice lattes, kombucha, iced coffee, and 16th other beverage as we go through these conversations together. My guest for today is Geoffrey C., the CEO of Poco, a Y Combinator-backed company. Geoffrey started his career with Bain and then very quickly founded Chosan Exchange, a not-for-profit where he trained thousands of female entrepreneurs in North Korea on how to run businesses. His work also led him to become a protagonist for a Harvard Business School case study. While he was in North Korea, he also understood the importance of financial inclusion and got introduced to the world of crypto. In 2018, he drove the launch and go-to-market strategy for a blockchain that led to the formation of a regulated private exchange called HE Exchange, which eventually partially exited to Binance. Now with Poco, he aims to improve the payments infrastructure within Web3, particularly when it comes to gaming. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. And so I think we should start with uh, what your journey has been like so far, you know, from where you started off to how... To where you are right now yeah thanks thanks tanya uh so i'm i'm jeffrey uh i'm the co-founder for uh y combinator back startup called poco um pocoapp.xyz and uh you know we basically enable merchants to collect payments globally and settle in uh usdc and we help them bridge from um from from fiat and local payments into smart contracts so like issuing NFTs, uh, kind of uh, putting fiat into uh, DeFi protocols and so on. Um, just a bit of my journey, how I got introduced to this space, uh, to Web3, as it's known now, um, was really back in 2013 when I was uh, a research affiliate at MIT and I was working on a nonprofit uh, project where we were helping entrepreneurs in emerging markets learn about business and the market economy. And, you know, we were dealing with places where payments was a big problem, where there were a lot of fluctuations in exchange rates. Uh, it's really some countries where there were currency reforms that literally wiped out the wealth of, you know, entire generation of entrepreneurs. Um, and, and, you know, that kind of got me interested in Bitcoin because I told my colleagues of this problem and people were like, hey, check out this thing called Bitcoin. So I read the white paper. Uh, I thought it was really fascinating. But at that time, I didn't believe uh, that there was, you know, that was easy to use. There was something that uh, was ready for use. Uh, fast forward to 2017, um, I ended up as the chief strategy officer for a company called Anquan, A-N-Q-A-N, that basically built and launched a layer one protocol called Zilliqa. Uh, you know, we got it up to a $2.4 billion coin cap when I was there. Um, and then on the back of it, we launched an exchange called HGX, which was partially exited to Binance. Uh, and I also led uh, this project uh, with the Central Bank of Singapore called Project Ubin. So I was, uh, we were handling one of the phases of Project Ubin, where we were working on experiments around cross-border settlement using blockchain rails. Um, so that kind of got me just very fascinated with the space. Uh, went on to join the Digital Currency Governance Consortium at the World Economic Forum, where I worked a lot on consumer protection issues uh, around uh, this emerging uh, digital currency or crypto space. 
Um, and I started Poco mainly because I saw how challenging it was for entrepreneurs, especially in in all around the world, to collect money from everywhere else. Settle it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of challenges in terms of uh, settlement time, money being held up in different places, lack of visibility, lack of transparency of where the funds are. In fact, I just have a payment to a contractor on Swift Rails that's been delayed for three weeks. One bank blames the other bank, the other bank blames back that bank. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, that's a big part of my motivation is how do we make transparent, kind of like cross-border payments easier and more transparent for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I think I suffer from this uh, a lot as well. I've had issues with banks so many times. But I think before kind of getting more into your journey within crypto, I did want to kind of take a step back and I know that you also spent some time in North Korea. So I'd love to kind of know more about that and what was that like for you? Yeah, so um, this was a nonprofit that I was involved in and helped founded uh, way back in the days when I was a university student. Um, and it all came about when, you know, I, I went on a trip to the country. I met a university student there, uh, you know, as, you know, kind of um, uh, in a final year. And I asked her what she wanted to do when she graduated. And she said she wanted to be a business leader to show that women can be great business leaders. And I was very surprised because uh, one, it was, you know, I always thought it was a very patriarchal country, but here was someone with very strong personal aspirations, wanting to prove something that was personal to her, personal mission. The other part was that it was a communist country. Uh, and I thought people there would be, you know, very, uh, I would think would have very negative views towards business or the market economy. Um, but I think what I realized was that this was a period of a lot of change in the country where people were starting to see all this Chinese tourists come in. And they realized how some of the neighboring countries had changed. And people were curious about uh, what could be done uh, to, to change you know, their domestic economy. Uh, so I started this nonprofit to run education programs there. So we teach people about entrepreneurship. Um, and and you know, it's still something that I'm proud of, you know, that we have exposed people there to knowledge and training that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to get access to. Uh, and we've done it obviously in a sanctions compliant manner. Um, and, and in fact, it was, you know, it was not easy being, I think for the locals there, we really have a lot of respect for them because it's not busy being an entrepreneur in a country that is still ideologically very hostile to some aspects of the concept of entrepreneurship. In fact, uh, one of the reasons why we could start our program was that there was a currency reform, uh, which wiped out the wealth of the entrepreneurial class. Basically, they, everyone had to change the old currency to the new currency and they could only change at a limit of, I think, $500. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, that's crazy. Yeah, but it must have been quite an experience, right? So does this nonprofit, is it still active or? Yeah, I think it's still active. Uh, I myself am no longer uh, particularly active in it. But, you know, we have a team of volunteers that continue to champion some of the work uh, and also do work with um, uh, policymakers outside to help them understand, uh, you know, kind of the, the situation in the country. Wow, that's incredible. So, uh, you know, just kind of circling back a little bit into your background and how you got into the crypto space. So when you kind of got in, it wasn't something that was very mainstream. It was still something that was very kind of nascent and you were kind of, I guess, one of the OGs, especially within Asia. So at the time, what was, uh, you know, your experience like, especially dealing with the government, dealing with uh, central banks and things like that? Yeah. So, you know, the period when I first, you know, got to know about it, no one really cared very much about it back then. You know, governments didn't know what was going on. Uh, you know, they didn't pay a lot of attention to it. 
I think for me, what really sparked my interest was, you know, the currency reform that happened in North Korea kind of made me think a lot about how do you build, in a sense, a global currency that is immune to poor policy decisions. Um, and I think that was the initial motivation for how I approach it. Um, and, and I think in 2017, 2019, uh, it was kind of interesting because governments at a point were starting to pay attention to the space. Uh, and you started seeing more regulations coming in. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, you know, and I think as, especially as time has gone by, there's a lot more attention and with, you know, recent scandals, uh, there's a lot more scrutiny of the sector. Uh, I think the one thing that's just progressively gotten harder since I started working on the space is just the interaction between traditional banking rails and cryptocurrency. So, uh, you know, in 2018, 2019, you know, uh, in Singapore, there was, all this talk about, oh, you know, the government wants to promote the crypto sector, or at least that's how the media perceived uh, the environment there. Um, but at the same time, when you talk to companies, they all just say, oh, you know, none of the banks would thank us because we are working in the Web3 space, regardless of what exactly we did in the space. Um, and I think that has progressively gotten harder. Um for, for many people. Um, but at the same time, I think with increased regulation and as there's more certainty in the space, uh, that also would make things easier for them to have that kind of access to traditional fiat rules. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from back then to now, what the situation is like and how the industry is perceived, like you mentioned, do you feel like there's a big change in terms of how mainstream it's become? Um, you know, especially in countries like Singapore and you're in Vietnam. So especially yeah. within these two countries. Yeah, I think it's it's super exciting, right? I think the the uh, you know, and I, I would say more from the I look from a technology development side because you know the funny thing is that I actually don't trade crypto much. Um <laughs> so um you know when when I first started, you know, back in 2018. You know, we were bringing uh, people to, we were, we, I brought Zilliqa to Vietnam and we we're trying to encourage developers to build on uh, crypto rails to learn about blockchain and learn about uh, different protocols. And at that point, every like there was hardly any interest, right? Everyone was like, oh, you know, the money is in making mobile apps. Like, why do I want to learn blockchain? Uh, so it took a lot of time, you know, it took a lot of education, um, you know, level of interest was growing, but honestly not huge. Now, you know, we, even in the down market, we are hiring developers who come to us and just say, Hey, I want to do this because I want to learn about, um, uh, I want to learn about blockchain. You know, I want to learn how to build, uh, blockchain apps, dApps, uh, and the interest continues. So I think on that part, that developer interest is what really excites me. And I think it's the biggest difference on how it has become very mainstream, uh, and accepted as a technology that people want to build with. Yeah. And so can you also talk a little bit more about what your experience was like, you know, with Anquin when you first started and what was that entire process like for you? Yeah, I think honestly at the time, no one really know what all this is about, right? I think people were kind of like, it was very technology driven where the idea behind uh, launching Zilliqa was um, kind of being the first to implement sharding and increasing the throughput. But no one actually thought a lot about, okay, you know, if we increase the throughput, what are people really going to use this for? So there was a lot of um, experimentation, a lot of education of uh, different like enterprises that came to us, different use cases. Um, and I think, you know, in hindsight, you can tell like, oh, which cases work and which didn't. Uh, and it's always interesting because you will see now and then someone try to resurrect an uh, old idea. Uh, and 
and and you're kind of like, oh, you know, I've seen it before. I mean, it didn't work then. I'm not sure if it worked now, but you know, someone have tried this somewhere, you know, in back in 2017, 2018. You know, a lot of supply chain stuff uh, and all of that. Um, so I think I think that was quite exciting because back then it was just like no one really knew what was going on. So you just tried different things. Um, and and I think it's fun because a lot of my my colleagues have gone on to build startups in this space, uh, in different areas, taking the, exper the experience they had. So um, I think that was great because you, you just really get to meet people who came in early, really believe in the space. Um, and then I think meeting those people at the early stage is very different from meeting people who come in later, where I think when the sector has gotten a lot richer, uh, you know, it attracts a very different profile of people, right? The first batch that we met were all more like missionaries and evangelists. You know, they they believed in the space. They 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 you know they had a very strong opinion about it, and I think that was uh, very different from maybe how it is now. That is much more mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. Do you also find that a lot of those people who came in very early? Uh, do you think there's still like people who are deeply part of the industry, or do you think most of them have kind of already built and exited and left? Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting you mentioned that because I think that cohort of people that came in, actually, I think many of them, uh, many of people I knew from my time then are very much still in the space. Um, and I think the people that came in early were the ones who really stuck around. Um, I would say you have different profiles, right? And if people come from corporate backgrounds, generally when the industry kind of went sideways uh, in 2019, a lot of them went back to uh, big tech jobs, um, so I, I guess you had a bit of a divergent path, but, you know, maybe it's also kind of like a, a factor of their opportunity sets available to them, right? You know, like some of them, I remember came in from like Google, uh, or whatnot. And, you know, after they left, they went back to other big tech companies when the industry took a downturn. So, um, uh, so I think you, you, you have quite divergent path for people. Um, but I think the one who came in very early and really believe in the ethos of the space uh, generally have stuck around. Okay. Yeah. And I think just kind of talking more about your new venture. So Poco, what does it do exactly? Yeah. So uh, in short, we enable payments, uh, local payments for Web3 merchants using local payment rails. So it's quite ironic, but most people in the world still pay with fiat <laughs> uh, and they pay in the payment methods that are most common to them. Uh, and what that means is that a lot of Web3 products and services are just not getting the usage because they are very inaccessible to most users. So what we do is we bridge into smart contracts with fiat payments. So you as a user can say, I want to check out an NFT. You can pay in your local payment method with cards, with bank-to-bank uh, -bank transfers, and you can receive an NFT or you can pay directly into a DeFi protocol. Uh, and, and in that way, we are trying to kind of grow uh, the space in the market. We have two specific products uh, at the moment. One is an on-ramp aggregator that enables um, users to top up wallets or top up their apps. Say they're playing a game, they need to buy tokens uh, or they are kind of topping up into other flows. And we can do it at a cost that's often up to 70% cheaper than some of the mainstream uh, on-ramps in the world. Uh, and then we also enable people to check out NFTs or other Web3 products uh, on local payment rails by connecting kind of Web2 payments into the Web3 uh, space. So okay. games, um, games, DeFi, uh, these are all examples of um, you know, kind of the segments that we're trying to serve in the Web3 space. Yeah. And do you feel like one of the biggest reasons why a lot of people haven't, you know, 
gotten into DeFi or it hasn't become very mainstream is because it's so difficult. Like, uh, you know, as a user who's not crypto native to like create wallets and then interact with DeFi protocol, things like that, it's just so difficult. Uh, but do you think, you know, there, there's a need for that bridge kind of a thing what you're building with Poco? Like, do you feel like yeah. that's one of the biggest reasons why it hasn't been adopted in a more mainstream way or there's still other reasons? Yeah, I think uh, you're right in a sense that the word we hear from a lot of users, uh, a lot of gamers in the Web3 gaming space has always been seamless, like simple and seamless. Uh, so they want to be able to pay and buy you know, a product, an in-game asset, uh, a service, the same way they would any other products. You know, you go there, you swipe a card, uh, you key in your card details, you pay with, like you scan a QR code and you do a bank transfer. Um, instead, now often they have to go to an exchange, figure out how to get dollars to the exchange, mm. you know, get tokens, withdraw the tokens to a wallet, use the wallet to go buy a product. And I think that is a very poor user experience. Uh, and we want to make that on-ramping process easier because we know from experience that simplicity and ease of on-ramping and onboarding uh, is a big driver of adoption. Yeah, And we've seen it like uh, my co-founder used to lead Netflix uh, growth for Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand. And, you know, it's all the very same concept, right? So how do you bring that, uh, that playbook around simple, easy to use, uh, simple to on-ramp, accessible uh, in order to grow a sector. And I think that's uh, important for the Web3 space. Yeah. Is that like a key trend that you would presume is going to come up in the next cycle? Or, you know, are there other trends that you're kind of bullish on within the space? Yeah. So I think for me, pers- I think that's what's exciting to me personally versus you know, where I believe this sector will go, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as I as mentioned, I'm not a trader. You know, I, I don't actually trade much crypto. Um, uh, so, you know, my guess is as good as anyone. Um, what I would say I am personally excited about is how uh, Web3, the intersection of Web3 and payments, how it enables new model and access to services that are otherwise hard to get. So an example, I think, is um, play-to-earn games. Even though the industry is obviously slumped a little bit, I think that ability to have gaming models where uh, there is an economic angle to it, there's ability to both pay in and pay out very easily at low cost, I think is very transformative in terms of engaging new user base around the world. Um, I think the ability to access uh, say things like financial services, mm-hmm. uh, especially in emerging markets, uh, and enabling that to happen, I think is is uh, amazing. Uh, because I think all too often uh, in many emerging markets, you know, these sectors tend to be very underdeveloped or tend to be very cozy, right? You know, most emerging markets don't support say that many banks or that many financial institutions. So can you build something that is more global? that maybe gives more options to uh, consumers. I think that is also very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very excited to kind of see uh, where you take this company. So I think those are all the questions that I had. We really appreciate you coming on and doing this interview. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. Looking forward to um, uh, kind of hearing the interview and also kind of hearing what other interesting stories you you uh, you bring to the table around the Web3 space. Okay. So I'll just cut it out here. But uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, It was okay. It wasn't very choppy or anything like that. But I really appreciate that. And I actually really quickly also wanted to ask you. 
so uh i'm so basically i started from like a vc background and then kind of got into the crypto space so right now i'm working with this company i'm not sure if you know them it's called treehouse and uh they're kind of a defi analytics platform so i'm doing marketing for them so it's like a competitor in anson uh yeah. and uh, but i'm actually also actively looking for uh jobs so uh within like marketing growth community that kind of yeah. stuff so i was wondering if you are hiring or looking to hire because yeah. i just think yes so the team now is quite small we are only hiring devs but i think you may want to check with a place like um circle mm -hmm. i think circle is expanding quite a bit i know they are hiring marketing i think it's more like sales driven but um, I, I would say that's one of the places if you're looking in the Web3 space might be worth speaking to um, that I think might be a, might not be a bad place to, to join. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, think so for I think me, it's less about the company. It's just more about the kind of people that I work with. And obviously, one of the mm. reasons that I really wanted to do this interview is because I just think you're a very interesting person. So for me, like the goal would be to like be able to learn from you. And uh, yeah, yeah. So that, that was my kind yeah. of... Yeah, thanks. I mean, super appreciate it. Just, I think we're not hiring at the moment. We're keeping the burn uh, fairly constrained. Um, just because, you know, it's uh, it takes time to find product market fit. Yeah. And, and so our priorities now is basically really focus on marketing at the moment. If things change, we'd love to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'll uh, um, keep you posted on when I publish this. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again for doing the interview. Bye. Thanks.